We love you, Lord. I thank you so much for the Iron Show and for my friends, Johnny and Rick, Lord. Father, I thank you. I love you, Lord. I love you so much, Jesus. Hey, welcome to the Iron Show. It's your boy, Johnny. Back down here, Pamela Landville with my host, Yellow. What's up, what's up, what's up, Very, 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 and we have the one, the only, the infamous Doctor Future. Hey, Doctor Future, uh, before we get going, can, uh, can I ask you a question? Sure. What's up? Oh, we're going to find out a whole lot up today, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, we don't have any conversation planned for today because Johnny likes to throw away the, uh, throw away the old uh, notes and uh, make it more spontaneous and uh, add that to the fact that I just woke up. We'll uh, make this more spontaneous than anyone could ever have imagined or even desired. So, I would just like to—I would just like to um, uh, find out uh, what have, what have been your thoughts here uh, this week. This week, yeah. Uh, hmm. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm always resizing up everything every week because we keep marching forward from one week of future quake to the next and getting our guests lined up. I'll watch the real key thing that's impacting us right now. And I, I guess I've been on a little bit of a, of a streak of, of worrying about things going on in our own midst in the church here in America. Oh. And uh, I just keep getting impressed more and more that we are surrounded by myth in America, more so here than everywhere. And I think myths about America... Uh, myths that our politicians told us, and sometimes even our churches have told us, and they aren't reflected in the Bible. And we've been having one show after the next of trying to expose that, and and even really taking a second look at some of our our you know our quote leaders uh, in the religious community in America to really see where they're coming from, what their agenda is, who's sponsoring them, um, and and really trying to get to the bottom line of what they're up to. Uh, because what they're saying, if you take a second and third look, it's very, very different than what I think you can see in the Bible right now. And uh, so that's sort of been what's been on my mind. Yeah, some of our leaders, uh, King Solomon Wells, uh, I was talking to him one time, and he thinks that some of them may be even in with the Dark Lord himself. And uh, he's got some stuff to back that up, which really it's really scary. Uh you know, he wasn't naming names, and, uh, you know, if you're going to talk about uh, 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 Christian leaders in with uh, the Antichrist, I guess it would be very inadvisable to name names. Well, individuals can make their own decisions. You can show them information on what to look for and let everybody make their own call. Uh, I, I'm, I'm leaning more and more, and I mentioned this in early Future Quake, that there may be some of these guys, because the kind of message that they're talking about, a political message, they may in, be in bed with the CIA, which may be even worse. 
And uh, they have had plants, they and the FBI have had plants in all other groups, including major media groups. So I would be shocked if they weren't present there. And we just have to be aware of infiltration. And the Bible warned us about tares amongst the, the wheat. And if we're, Bereans, yeah, if we're Bereans and we keep checking the Bible, there is nothing wrong with that, with checking what what leaders say with what the Bible says. It's what God expects us to do. Yeah, you were uh, talking on one future quake, and you had exposed or or were diving into this uh, this matter where um, one of the uh, evangelicals was uh, subscribing to a a sort of a lesson plan by the by the CIA to promote uh, Romans 13 in the uh, in the church in a big way to uh, try to. Uh, keep a lid on the church do you remember do you remember that uh yeah oh yeah yeah it was a pastor it was a part of a if you're talking about the one uh it was they were recruiting pastors for for a program fema is that what you mean right fema that was it fema was uh recruiting pastors uh for a program do you remember much about that yeah it was uh to me, that was something that was very, very alarming, and Christians need to be aware of it. As well as I can recall, they were um, they were uh, recruiting these pastors to uh, promote uh, Romans 13 and get out there and uh, preach the gospel of uh, submittance to the state. Social justice and be part of the collective salvation. That's, you know, that we are part of collective salvation. That's what they are. Yeah, uh, Dr. Future. The collectivists. Now- the collective order of they, they took Christianity and they brought socialism into Christianity, and what they're trying to so you can find that out, right? I mean, Glenn Beck has been exposing that actually. You could find out who's hanging on who uh, in the government. Like, okay, well, we'll get your you know get your flocks to uh, you know to submit to our social justice, and uh, they're you know they've infiltrated the church. To you know, to bring them into what we're going through now, to their Marxism. This is what the Marxists did in, you know, the Bolsheviks and all uh, the people did that. The church, even the Nazis, did the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the same, um, same thing. Well, you know, my my philosophy, you know, that, that attempting to be in line with what I understand the Bible to teach is it, still evolving. But if you're interested, I can sort of tell you where I stand on that now. It's actually sort of a Sort of a middle ground that I think is more biblically defensible, if you'd like my two cents. Oh, please do. Well, as far as the, the uh, Christian's responsibility to the government and what its role is and the bigger picture of what we're called to do, uh, one of the things I think we have to keep in mind, and, and this particularly pertains to Romans chapter 13, mm-hmm. is that we have to be careful to not take passages in the Bible, not only out of the context in the book, but even the time they were written and who they were written to. And if you think about it, at the time the New Testament was written, the people of God were subjugated by a foreign power. So they were, they were completely helpless. They were under a foreign power. Um, God said that this would happen, you know, first through the exile, and then later uh, where, where these additional kingdoms would come and take over the other, uh, you know, the four kings and the Daniel statue. Uh, so they knew, one, that they were under this foreign power. God was aware of it. Uh, and basically they had no right to be able to change anything that, that the emperor did, but also really no responsibility for what he did. So uh, 
related to this, I think we also have to keep in mind to be very careful when we read the Old Testament and look at the guidelines God gives to Israel, which is a theocracy. They were a they were a very very special one time arrangement that God had in time to do a specific thing, and that was to protect and preserve the oracles of God and to provide a bloodline for Christ, uh, and that he would be delivered for our sins. And they were supposed to be a light unto the Gentiles and, and teach them God's ways and things like this, and and only did that to a small degree. They, they did preserve the, the teachings, and they also... Uh, you know, provided a way for for Christ to come, even though they they themselves rejected him. But um, they were a theocracy, and even with that, in this theocracy, everyone in that group took the same covenant. They they adopted the same covenant that was adopted at Sinai with everyone there. They voluntarily took it. As long as you stayed in their fellowship, you accepted that covenant, so you were under their rules. And even with that. God established a separation between the king and the priest. The priest dealt with the specific uh, affairs of uh, their religious state with God and their sacrifices, teaching, and the king was responsible when he came along for defending them against harm and to make sure that that people were safe. So even that, that distinction was established then. But when you get to the Gentile nations... If you read even in the Old Testament, God also has expectations of the Gentile nations. And those general expectations were that they lead justly and they provide justice for the people in their society. Uh, also, they don't do things, and particularly in Israel, things like dishonest weight and measures, where there was economic fraud going on and things like this. These were the things that the prophets talked about, that they, that they judged them over, as well as idolatry and, and all those other kind of things. So when we get into the New Testament, we have a group of Christians who are under the dominance of a foreign power, and they have really no way to resist what that foreign power does, other than not worship him in front of him and then pay the price. But they could not change his policies. They could not change anything. They had no mechanism by which to do that. Therefore, one day when Caesar is judged, he'll be judged on his own, on his own decisions. Now, go forward to the last 250 years. We now live in a very, very unique situation of, of self-government. We, we now live in this very unique experiment in world history called America. And America is, is based on the principle, uh, you know, and Christians debate whether they were right to, to rebel or not, but regardless, it's water under the bridge. It happened. And so now we have a system where theoretically at least – we pick representatives that represent what we believe. And so they basically are the rulers by proxy on our behalf. It would be like somebody being a kingmaker in the old days, where they would pick a king that would administer what they wanted done on their behalf. So to me, that changes the ballgame in that one is we have both a right and a responsibility to pick proper administrators. Just like the king, on our behalf, just like the king would pick people below him that he was responsible for. So, so we have the opportunity and the responsibility to do it right, but we also carry the responsibility of what they do. So, I believe uh, that when we're when we're you know look forward and be accountable for our actions, uh, God will look at the actions of the leaders that we picked and look at what our culpability is. Now, if someone 
you know, fought and did everything they could to try to stop a terrible evil from happening, and it happened anyway, then I think God will hold them unaccountable. But for most Christians in our era, they are completely asleep at the wheel. And so they allow uh, these wrong things to happen, and I believe they're going to share in it but not getting involved. So, so that's, that's, that's the activist side. Now, on the other side of the coin, uh, I think it's very clear in the Bible that for Gentile nations, God makes it very clear that their role is not the same as the church. The church has certain roles to be salt and light in society, and that's largely a moral role and obviously a spiritual role. Whereas he establishes over and over again in Scripture, the purpose for Gentile governments is to keep the peace, to make sure there's justice, and that teaching evolved into something that's now known as natural law, where the basic principle of any government is to make sure somebody keeps their mitts off other people's stuff. So that's really the only purpose of government, because one thing to remember about government that I finally started to understand is that it can only be coercive. It can only make people do stuff. That's the only thing unique about government. And so you want to be very, very careful on what you give it to be coercive about. And the only things in society that you need a government to be coercive to have the authority over are uh, the courts to make sure that there is a, a final place to arbitrate who's right and who's wrong in a matter, law enforcement to make sure that it's carried out, their, their rules, and a national defense to make sure outside invaders don't just take your property or, or, or harm you. Anything beyond that, I say, is an unnecessary acquiescence to government. Uh, in matters that don't have to be matters of coercion. So I think the Bible is clear that civil government has its role, and also that in our unique government system, we have a responsibility that they do what they're supposed to do, which is make sure there's justice for people, that everybody gets a fair hearing and is taken care of, that is, you know, not, not uh, exploited by the law. But on the other hand, the other needs of society, which are the overwhelming amount, that is for institutions like the church to deal with. And those of us that are Christians, it should be our responsibility for our people to see that these other needs are addressed and met. Uh, there are other people in our society who aren't Christians. They are just as much citizens as we are. Uh, and we have no right, I don't believe, to coercively force them uh, to act as if they're part of our covenant, since they have not voluntarily became part of it. So I, I believe a society has to respect the fact that they may have differences on these other matters, and we need to use our influence in in the church by example, by our love, by our testimony, to be able to show them a better way. Because if we do it in a coercive manner, it'll never have any kind of eternal fruit. There'll be nothing long-term of any benefit to them or society uh, that way. So that, that's a little bit of a nutshell of how I sort of see things sorting out on these matters. But uh, you have a certain kind of a view about... Uh uh, Romans, where, you know, I was taught, you know, in church where we're supposed to submit ourselves to the, uh, the, the authorities, you know, that, uh, that rule over us, you know, the state, the, the, the city, the local, the federal government. And, uh, you have a kind of a different, uh, idea about that. What's your idea about that? Who are we to submit ourselves to? Well, uh, you know, when it says authorities in those passages and how it's interpreted into the English and things like that, I understand that to be where the buck stops in terms of the, the final say in a matter uh, in, in the area where we reside. And for America, I, I understand that to be the Constitution. Uh, we, we basically elect not rulers, 
but we we uh, elect administrators that are supposed to administrate the wishes of the Constitution and to make sure that they're followed and executed. So when our leaders do not follow the dictates of the Constitution, which is the accepted law of the land, then they become by definition lawbreakers, and they have to be reined in by the populace. Since it's our government, a citizen-led populace, they must be reined in when they're lawbreakers. Now, not just because they do things we don't like or they have different views on things, but when they actually break the Constitution. And this is consistent with the with the directions in the Declaration of Independence and elsewhere. Uh, we have to stay true to the law. If you look at the military, when the military take their oath, their oath is not to the president. It is not to any of these leaders. It is to the Constitution. And that is an example for us as citizens the same way. Uh, our commitment and oath is to the real law of the land, which is the Constitution. And when administrators do not carry out the law as it is written, then we have to take a lawful measures to deal with them. Can I back you up on that? Yeah. Can I back you up on that? Sure. You just said it. Thomas Jefferson said, In questions of power, then, let no more be heard of confidence in man but bind him down from mischief by the chains of the Constitution. You just said it in so many good words. Right, right. and now that's why I, I finally appreciate the wisdom of decentralized government on national level, local level, pushing decisions down to the lowest level, splitting up responsibilities, because it acknowledges fallen man. And, and, and even if someone seems very virtuous, when you give them all power, it will corrupt them. It will actually change... Uh, how they respond. So the best thing we can do is make things very decentralized and weak. When I was very, very young and would study history, um, uh, of course, I had a very simplistic view of the world. And I would look at the founding fathers like Alexander Hamilton, who wanted to make a very, very strong government uh, so it could rival the European powers. Uh, and I thought that really sounded cool because I pictured history as just a series of wars. And you wanted to be as strong as you could to stand up to these guys in the war. So the more everything was centrally controlled, the stronger you would be, particularly in a very weak, early state of a country. Uh, but now, as I look at it, uh, I recognize what an incredible danger. And this is a turning point in every person when you realize that the real threat to every human being is their own government, much more so than other external governments. You know, we have threats that are external from time to time. Uh, I find more and more of those are actually bogus, and they've been made up for somebody else's agenda. But there is always a standing risk of strong governments uh, exploiting their own people. And I think statistics have shown that more people have died from persecution of their own government than external governments. So that's what the Founding Fathers tried to show. Now, I also believe that this thing that Christians teach about, oh, they were just wonderful Christian men and were just great theologians and understood all the things we believe as Christians is a bunch of bunk. And I think Chris Pinto and many other people who've shown, the historical record shows that while they may have had some wisdom in these matters, they also were politicians. And they tipped their hat to, to what people wanted to hear, but in their private letters they said another thing. But in all honesty, I don't know if it really matters all that much. Because if you keep civil government into its very, very small role of civil matters, it shouldn't matter. Any more than when I have somebody come and pick up my garbage, I don't go quiz them on what all their religious beliefs are. 
I, I, I don't go vet them and all that. I just want to make sure they pick up my garbage. And those who lead our government, whether it's federal or local or whatever, are really not much more than glorified garbage men. They have a very simple task for society. They just need to go execute it. Don't go doing other things or mess with it. Just get the job done, and that's it. And we should leave these religious matters and other things in the domain where it belongs, in the domain of uh, you know the spiritual kingdom of God, and with people who are dealing in that front. And it's a that's an assembly of people who have a voluntary uh, covenant. Uh, in agreement of family, we have additional restrictions on the family of God that we don't have in civil government, and I'm thankful for it because I voluntarily submit to them as I understand them. And I know many, many, many other Christians have a totally different view of what those are. And I would be under incredible jeopardy if they got in power and had control to to do these kind of things. You know, one thing you could always ask a dominionist. Uh, you know, do you do you really think it would be best if we had a theocracy and, and good, godly people in charge of our government? No, of course, say, oh, yes, yes. You know, and then I say, well, I guess you wouldn't mind a, if a Seventh-day Adventist became our president and had the authority yeah. to do what his, what his conscience told him and what he really believed God told him to do and make a law that made sure that we all worshipped on Saturday, that that, was a, that that was an absolute that we did that. You know, or a, a, a Catholic one that would actually say that we all had to pray to Mary, and there was a law, and they were doing exactly what their conscience said was felt was right. It, it, and then it becomes very obvious at that point the dangers that are there by giving the course of power of government for religious matters, uh, because all of us are going to suffer. C.S. Lewis understood it. Uh, they tried to create a well-meaning but a, a, a political party in England that was going to be more of a Christian party. And they wanted him to be one of the headliners in it, you know, one of the people running C.S. Lewis. And he declined because he said, you know, it won't be long before I'll be on the outside looking in and be persecuted by it. And he is exactly right. That would be a threat to every one of us. Yeah, the Founding Fathers, they, they really came from, you know, a situation where, you know, the Church of England and all of that. And they, they knew they didn't want anything to do with that, you know. And... uh well, they were a product of the Enlightenment, so they were very much into rationalistic thinking. As we know, Jefferson didn't believe in any of the miracles of the Bible. He didn't believe in the virgin birth or the resurrection or any of these things, which doesn't leave you much in Christianity if you don't believe in the resurrection. But, you know, he was pretty sharp at understanding human nature. And the fact that the kind of arrangement that you had to do to try to keep corruption to a minimum, uh, I think he was very good on those things, but he certainly would be a horrible theologian. And when we have religious leaders here in America try to create a myth around people like that, it is absolutely no difference than having someone like Joseph Goebbels uh, in the Nazis creating this fake worldview, this propaganda, uh, and Himmler uh, of this fake religion of the ancient Germanic people and, this, and trying to revive this ancient religion. That's basically what Himmler said. We want to take our culture back. That's, that was his same thing as what we hear today. To make Germany once what it once was, just like they they said they want to make America what it once was, and you know it's a little easier for us in hindsight to see what the risks were with that and what it turned into. But they knew at the same time they didn't want to exist under a theocracy. I mean, uh, like you say, you know, it, it, it almost it almost doesn't really matter, uh, you know, what their you know how their theology was because they they understood human nature and they knew that. Uh, they had to prevent a theocracy from forming. 
the separation of church and state. I mean, it was for that very reason. Uh, Rick and I researched it and uh, found out that they were afraid that one denomination was going to take over. They didn't mind uh, so much it being a Christian nation, but they were afraid, you know, like you were saying, that the Catholics might take over or what were they? They were afraid of the actually this one uh, this one uh, uh, group of Presbyterians, namely, I think it was, wasn't that New York City? New York City Presbyterian Church. Yeah, yeah, they were afraid they were going to take over, and they wanted to make sure that no one denomination could take over because. Yeah, like you say, if you if you go ask a if you go ask a, a Pentecostal, you know, a Dominionist, uh, how they feel about you know living under theocracy, you know, and good godly people in, in in government, you know, and then ask them if they, you know, what if the Catholics, you know, were running it and you had to pray to Mary, you know, they they change their mind real quick. <laughs> if any of your listeners have ever uh, been in a church where you started seeing things going like a bad way and they got like a new preacher or things started getting weird and the preacher started taking more and more control over a church where he didn't tolerate dissenting opinions. Uh, it happens all the time in churches everywhere. And when you get in that situation, you know, you may pray for a long time that things change, but there comes a point when you recognize it's not going to change, at least in the short term, and you've got to worry about your family. At least now, if you see that happen, since we're in a non-coercive means of, of religious expression now, you can pick up and go somewhere else. You can get away from that kind of environment. Once they take over the reins of government and, and address those same issues from government, there is no practical way to get away from it. You, you are actually stuck there in the middle of it. So this is the biggest risk, and I, I just think that the, uh, you know, I come from a traditional right background, in my view. I think I'd call myself a libertarian now, but, but from that background. But I believe these leaders in the religious right, um, I don't know what their agenda is. Either they're incredibly naive, and if they are, then I wonder why are we looking to them as being our great figures of religious discernment in other matters. Or they have another agenda, and both of those are bad answers because they've not as, – as powerful as they are, they've not thought through things. And I think this this thing when you build big ministries up or you got to have large amounts of money coming in to keep them running, it is a tendency to compromise, to be able to stay on the cutting edge. And the religious right has been hurting the last few years because their influence has waned, and I think dominionism – is something they think they can ride to keep keep things going, and of course the Tea Party is something they want to latch on to like everybody else because there's some money and support there to keep them in the public eye, and uh, we just have to be aware of what the situation is and what's going on. I'm thankful for alternative Christian media uh, where people can get on that don't have a big agenda like this big financial or other agenda and can just call it the way they see it, and people can take the information. And and at least have alternative views to decide the lay of the land. Yeah, yeah. Being not being in somebody's pocket is a huge freedom, you know. And uh, yeah, and I think you've really, I think you've really, uh, you've really uh, provided a huge service to people like me, for instance, who listen to Future Quake. And uh, you're not afraid to get on there and uh, tackle really tough subjects, you know, and. Uh, there, there are subjects that nobody will touch, like, uh, well, you know, the alien agenda. I mean, where are you going to hear about that? I asked a pastor, uh, uh, my local pastor, uh, uh, when I was about to be baptized in the bapt- 
the baptism meeting before beforehand, a couple of weeks beforehand, and I told him about you know my views about the alien gospel, and he stood there with this 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 uh, you know quiz, uh, not not quizzical, but yeah, kind of quizzical and uh, derisive look on his face, and uh, I said, what 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 are you gonna you know what you must have an answer. Uh, you know, for the alien, uh, issue. I mean, I mean, you know, you're not stupid. Uh, you, somebody sooner or later is gonna come to you, you know, because, you know, there's 1.5 million, uh, Americans that claim to have been abducted by aliens. Uh, that according to a Gallup poll, which is a Christian poll, or at least Gallup, Gallup was a Christian man, but, uh, you know, so chances are you're going to run into somebody. Somebody's going to come into you, and they're going to say, uh, "Pastor, I, I, I'm, I'm being abducted by aliens." You know, uh, what what kind of an answer are you going to have for that person? And he says, "Well, my answer would be is to, um, you know, call up the state hospital and have the uh, have them have the boys in white come and get these get this person." You know, and. Uh, I got in his face. I, I yelled at him. I told him it, told him he better work up a better answer than that. And I was kind of escorted out of his I don't office. Know. But Johnny, it's you. I would say the same thing. <laughs> I would say the same thing about you. You know, every time I talk to you, I think about the white coats. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was uh, escorted out of the office and stuff. He did, he did though baptize me. Uh, yeah. Introducing me as a very interesting character in front of the whole church. Which, <laughs> you know, why didn't he? Why didn't he just say Futurian? That would have said the same thing. People would have understood. Yeah, yeah. Which is why you know we all need to uh, burn a bunch of uh, Future Quake CDs, and uh, we need to we need to get these out. You know, get these uh, get these important shows out to people on the street. You know, that's why I would encourage everybody to. Uh, Burn a copy of your favorite Future Quake. For me, it was uh, Future Quake '64 with Peter Goodgame, and uh, and hand those out on the street. Well, thanks, brother. Hey, by the way, I'm getting a little feedback on your end there from your voice. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, probably because. Um, let me see here. Unless you have a doppelganger in the studio that's speaking well, right after you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're getting feedback just because you're isolated. So whatever you're hearing while I'm talking isn't going to be any problem. What's going to be a problem is if you hear, if you're hearing yourself, if you're hearing yourself feedback. <laughs> That's a little annoying, isn't it? Hey, I saw that movie Inception last night. Tom Bionic and I went and saw it. That is a weird movie. Inception? Yeah. Do you know the one I'm talking about? No. About dream state, another dream-stated movie, kind of like that one movie? Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio. And yeah, it's yeah. about uh, these people who actually can go inside people's dreams. And normally they go inside because the mind is unguarded and you can take out secret information out of it. Uh, and this guy gets in a sort of a dire state, and he's offered a deal to actually go implant a an idea in somebody's mind, and he has to take a crew in there, and it gets really complicated where you have actually multiple dream levels, 
where you have to come out like a third level dream and then you wake up into the second level dream, wake up into the first and there's time dilation and all sorts of heavy duty stuff like what's reality and what's not reality. Uh it's it's pretty heavy duty. I I, I yeah, wrestle like with dream that. Shape. There was two movies out that were very similar to that called Dreamscape. Yeah, Dreamscape yeah. with uh with um what's her name? It's the Dennis, last Natalie Wood. Dennis Quaid. Yeah. And another one was uh, there was another one. Christopher was, Walken uh, was in one of them. Yeah, there was another one that was, yeah, it was one with the it's almost similar. This is like a third one, you know, a different idea. It's they were all pretty similar. Well, this the, had a this had a feel of the Matrix too. You had people running around on walls and all that, that kind of weird stuff too. You know, um, basically, if you had some kind of physical interruption in some world. The dream state of that world would feel that the nature of that interruption in it. So now you know, uh, as a devoted uh, Future Quake listener, uh, I'm fully aware that some of these uh, types of situations are actually uh, uh, working their way into the fabric of reality. So, uh, do you have? Do you have? Could you tell us about what you know about? Uh, how far they've gotten into uh, getting into our minds. I th- they is in the, the dark, mysterious powers behind the curtain, you know. Uh, could you tell us, uh, according to, like, your research, how close are, are they to, to getting into our minds? Well, you know, if you go back to the early days of the Cold War, um, the Russians actually had some kind of, this is what I've read and researched from multiple sources, some kind of light bulb that they could put in our embassies that had an ultra-low frequency that could actually drive people suicidal or mess up their thoughts, their brain waves where they couldn't think. Um, there were some reports I got uh, that they did this when we had our heads of state visit uh, Russia uh, that made President Carter really, really sick, and I think Nixon also experienced something, and they've even done it to their own leadership in Russia where they would cause events like for their head to hemorrhage or, or do things like that, where, where basically it just creates some kind of terrible state. Uh, you've probably heard about Project Blue Beam, which I know less about than your average listeners. I need to study it more, about where they would plant false realities in our enemies' minds, like God was telling them to give up or something in the sky. And they used it by creating images, 3D images. They have directional sound where they can point a sound beam so careful that you can be in a crowd and nobody hears it but you. They can just aim it to your brain in a crowd, and they're using this now in advertising. Advertising is usually the main way how we find out about some of this, is that they start adopting some of this, and they're on the cutting edge. But now you can you can walk like in Times Square or something, and you can start hearing an advertisement, and the person standing next to you can't because it's that directional. So what they can do is they can put pl- things in your mind like you're going insane or you're hearing voices in your head from God or whatever like that. And from what I read, this stuff is available and underway. And it's been used on key figures. Uh, and they now have these devices, I believe, that actually work from a truck trailer that, that can do that. But if you look in the advertising history, I'm sure you've heard the many stories about subliminal advertising, where they'll put a picture of popcorn in the movies, and they've statistically shown this dramatic increase in popcorn consumption. I don't think there's any reason not to believe that that goes on regularly. Uh, and that's something we're being exposed to. Sometimes it's that scientific and precise. Sometimes it's just more subtle. 
you know, it's an age-old thing in advertising to show a sultry model and to use sex to sell sales of anything, any product. It, it's still mind control. I mean, it's still the point of actually manipulating people. Uh, and the Nazis perfected a lot of it through their, uh, evidently the guys that they designed, the Nuremberg uh, festivals and things like this, they were designed to get people into a trance state, into a state to adopt whatever came from the speaker on the podium. Uh, and even people who were ardent and anti-Nazis fell sway to it uh, when they heard it at the time. So there was a science that was developed into all of this. And I think it's regularly used in, in our movies. I've also read that even the flicker rate on our TV puts us in some kind of alpha state in our brain that is a way of dumbing us down. Uh, and I think it probably assists the fluoride, uh, which is also shown to be an IQ reducer. So, you know, the, the, the fluoride, as I understand it, um, and I've read, was, was developed by the German government uh, and was intended to be put in the water of POWs to make them... Uh, to take away their critical thinking ability so then they wouldn't be able to think how to break out of prison where they were sort of stuck in there and it would sort of dull their imagination and their their ability to discern things. Uh, and that was just basically adopted over to what we're used now. So we're being assaulted both chemically uh, and through the visual content that we take in as well, too. And so, you know, it's just happening on several fronts. And But the use of symbols was another thing uh, that, that appears to also have even a cult powers, occult spiritual power, in symbols that the Nazis used and that were used in the, the greater and lesser mysteries in the ancient world, um, that people had these trance states and they were taken to another, you know, another world. All of these things have been modified and used today uh, in our current world. So I, I would be very, very afraid in this world not to be a Christian and to not believe that the Holy Spirit is providing some kind of restraining force in each of our individual lives and our brains. Because we, we can still be susceptible to some of these kind of things if we don't stay prayed up and focused in God's Word. Because they call it programming for a reason. And it is technically trying to create a worldview in you. Uh, all the time we see this information, and we have to acknowledge it and willfully resist it. They uh, they certainly were uh, effective. You could really see it uh, post nine eleven how uh, everybody was uh, had uh, flags strapped to their pickup trucks and uh, they were you know they were killing uh, anybody with a turban hanging out at a seven eleven you know and and uh, you could really you could really uh, you could really see I could really see uh, the uh, the effect they were having on the populace at that time and. Uh, it, that's that's the only time it com, it became really evident to me. Uh, you could uh, you could ha, you could you could see it from a I could see it from an outsider perspective. Somehow I, I was not affected enough to uh, be able to uh, see it from an outsider's perspective of how that they were affecting the population. And uh, you talk about uh, about how uh, in Revelation eighteen. Um, where it, t it talks about how the kings of the earth uh, and the, you know the powers that be uh, will conspire together and uh, use uh, pharmacia, which is uh, basically drugs, uh, sorcery, to uh, to control the people to deceive the nations. And uh, uh, you want to talk about your research into that a tiny bit? Um, what if, what what kind of things have you uncovered? Um, are there are there drugs that are being used now? 
that are uh, being fed to us besides the fluoride and so on? Well, um, by, by the way, let me mention one other thing related to this, too, in, in the brain, and we can talk more about this in a little bit. But uh, one of the new things I just found out about fluoride, um, we have mentioned on an earlier show some of our reading about the, the pineal gland, which is this gland right in the center of the brain. Uh, a lot of our f- famous philosophers, uh, like Rene Descartes and others, believed actually it controlled the portal connection between our sp- the spirit world and where we are, physical physical world. We 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 know we must go to it somehow via prayer and things like this. And and he felt like he identified actually the physical portal between the two. Uh, occultists have always believed that they called it the third eye. Uh, even people like H.P. Lovecraft, who had had sort of an unreal understanding of the spirit world. Uh, he, he one of his most famous works was called From Beyond. And it was about a man who built a machine that would stimulate the pineal gland where you could suddenly see these other spirit worlds uh, elsewhere. Uh, and, and there were malevolent forces, you know, that would come to attack us. Uh, and I found out that, that not only does fluoride calcify the pineal gland, it collects in there, which would tend to give you a thought that, hey, it's inhibiting the function of the pineal gland. But I also just recently read that these uh, tryptamine, uh, these neurotransmitter chemicals, which are used to affect our reality, our personality, who we are, how we view reality, that actually fluoride molecules actually assist them in actually functioning in their role as neurotransmitters. So they actually enhance the, the functionality of them, which is very, very interesting because... Um, if there is any truth to this, the, the reason that the pineal gland has its name is that it means it looks like a pine cone. Yeah, pineal, yeah. Right, it's, a, it's about the size of a pea, okay? But it's shaped just... It's actually an eyeball. It's actually a third eyeball. It's very much... It, well, it, uh, it uh, catches light and... Uh, it's cell that, structure, yeah, it's cell structure is, is very, very similar to the cell structure of a retina in your eye. In, in translating light, and in other animals that have this uh, parietal gland, it actually still serves as a way of taking external light directly on the outer surface, where it actually uh, will be stimulated by it, the light directly impinging on it on the outside. In ours, uh, where it's actually embedded in our brain, evidently through our eyes, it actually brings it, and that's why melatonin, which is one of the chemicals involved there, affects our sleep cycle. It affects uh, our general state of happiness. Uh, and then there's another chemical, similar chemical, serotonin, which has more dramatic effects on our general sense of well-being, on uh, what we think about what's going on. Uh, there's other strange things about serotonin uh, that I think have an interesting connection. Uh, serotonin is actually what makes the sting and stingers of wasp and, and things like this more potent. And it also creates swarm behavior where it'll actually swarm and attack things with this uh, amount of serotonin, which connects back to my, my correlation revelation chapter 9. But the pineal gland, again, it's, it's shaped, it looks like a pine cone. It's right in the area where the third eye is described. And we see the pine cone actually preserved in mythology with this mystical connection because, uh, for example, one of the main gods of the ancient world was Dionysus. Dionysus was a liminal god, which means he controlled the portal to the world beyond in, in our world. And he carried a, a, a staff, 
a uh, I forgot the name of it, but it's uh, it had a fennel stalk for the the shaft of it, and then had a pine cone on the top of it. And all right. of his followers, the Menaids, would actually drink this special wine that had uh, wormwood-based wine. Uh, and this wormwood-based wine, was, yeah, it, it, yeah, it was a ver- variation of absinthe. And it would put them into this super ecstatic state where they'd basically lose all inhibitions and they would commune with him and they would carry that same kind of staff with the pine cone on the top. And then they'd go around the countryside and actually they'd catch animals or even people. They would rip them limb from limb and consume them while they were alive. I mean, every type of horrific forbidden things, these were maidens. And they said there's so many of them that they could surround a bull and even overwhelm a bull and tear him apart while he was standing and then consume him right in front. Didn't they believe that ultra-violent acts uh, stimulated more cascades of serotonin or, or, well, not, you know, not scientifically, they weren't scientists, but didn't, didn't, the, these, didn't these violent acts bring them further into that state they were seeking? Well, uh, I, I would expect so because it would actually, you know, do more internal stimulation. Uh, and I believe that the, this, this special wine they drank w- was part of that. But but what I find even more disturbing is that you look at the Pope today, and the Pope carries a staff with a pine cone on top of it. That's disturbing. And if you go to the Vatican, the largest pine cone statue in the world is right in inside the Vatican at a place called the Court of the Pine Cone. And based upon my reading, it was the, this pine cone statue, which is enormous, was taken from the front of the Temple of Isis in Rome, and was taken by the Pope a long time ago and put inside the Vatican. So you have to ask the question: What are they trying to sell here, promote of the stimulation of the pineal gland? Now, in recent days, one of the things that really have gotten interest in the pineal gland was some conjecture that it plays a key role in the effect of DMT and chemicals like that in connecting to the spirit world. Um, in fact, uh, some doctors, like Dr. Rick Strassman, believe that DMT is the key place for the residing, uh, is in the pineal gland of DMT. Uh, it certainly has serotonin and melatonin as well. These are all neurotransmitter. They're, they're tryptamine-based chemicals, which is slight variations. Uh, right. He thought that he thought that the pineal gland actually generated the stuff, manufactured it. It is created in the body, but I be, there is something called, and I believe it's an MOI. Yeah, MAOI. Um, but yeah, it's the MAO, the, the the oxalase that is created in the gut, and it. Yeah, MAOI. It will destroy DMT, where it has a very short life in the body. But what what was discovered by these ancient shamans back. And this goes way back, I think it's pre-flood, because they think it's thousands of years ago. They were shown by spirits how to take certain uh, roots, other kind of chemicals, and extract this chemical. And also, there was an MAO inhibitor, or MAOI. Yeah, monamine oxidase inhibitor. That's it, that's it. And they, they, they get it naturally, and they put it in a mixture uh, in this ayahuasca tea that they make, and it actually inhibits the destruction of the DMT, where it actually lasts longer. And because of that, within seconds, you have this experience that's pretty consistent that you encounter beings on the other side. And most of the time, they do very, very horrible things to people, like rape them, do experiments on them, 
things where people are traumatized after they've taken this particular chemical. There was a famous one where a, a journalist in the National, um, National Geographic, who was, a, I guess, an agnostic or atheist, took it in a, in a group in, in the Amazon, and she immediately experienced that she was falling down this abyss past all these souls that were crying out to her for rescue and please get us out of this terrible place. And she fell before, in her writing, she says she fell before these three thrones with beings on them that said that you could never leave here, that you're doomed, that you could never get out. And this is a little bit like this movie I was just talking about earlier. With DMT, multiple people can see the same images, which means there's something more going on than just a hallucinogen. And actually, people can appear in each other's experience. And some of the people in her in her circle actually came in and intervened and pulled her out of that abyss where she was trapped. So this is this must be something more than just the mind tricking somebody with a hallucination. Uh, and the fact that people consistently see the same kind of characters generally when they take DMT. And now they have churches that are set up. They're even in America to take this for mystical experiences. So there was a real target on this pineal gland uh, to be able to have this impact. And, and I've just been learning some new things uh, recently uh, about this assault of drugs in our society and how it impacts it. Uh, by the way, somebody on the show uh, emailed and said, isn't it interesting that um, Jacob uh, actually called the place where he wrestled with Jesus, he called it pineal. Oh, really? And, and uh, you know, people could argue, well, is it pronounced exactly the same or whatever. But it was interesting. He was called at that because he said, I saw God face to face here. And that's what these drugs particularly do is they say they're the portal, you know, to reach to God. And so uh, I find that fascinating. Also, I just learned something recently, and we're probably going to have a show on this pretty soon in, in my own research. I didn't know much about AA. Uh, but one of our listeners told me that the guy who founded AA was pretty much into taking LSD and stuff like that. Yeah, I know the whole story. Uh, you, you know, you know a lot about it. Yeah, he, he did, uh, that's where. Yeah, he went and thought it was a cure for alcoholism, so he would go in. This is it, uh, Narcotics Anonymous argument that broke off from AA. It's a whole argument based behind this, and uh, Narcotics Anonymous was formed because. Uh, Bill, Bill Wilson t- started experimenting with that. Of course, this is where Timothy Leary it was this, with the same doctor. That he was uh, another experimenter. It's pretty pretty weird circle. Um, and Narcotics Anonymous from Jimmy Cage went, man, this guy got loaded. Uh, I don't care what it is. And he they changed uh, from AA when they were AA based to saying that the disease of addiction. Just to let, just to say further. So Jimmy K took it apart and they created Narcotics Anonymous because Bill Wilson was getting loaded. Right. So right. Yeah, they knew it was a drug. They said it's a drug. It's that's what it is. Do you know more about his conversion experience? How he had his encounter with the higher power that started AA? Uh, uh, um, in a sense, he was going to Doctor Bob's. Uh, Doctor Bob, who helped form AA, was a Christian, and he used to have, I guess. I, I, Bill's conversion was way out, it wasn't Christian, I'll tell you that. It wasn't, it was sort of like that, but he didn't like the Bible God, you know, that's what he would basically say. I think he, I think Dr. Bob, they were really good friends, so I think they'd argue a lot, but, uh, 
Well, if uh, I could uh, share with you a little bit about what I have read and understood from what I consider fairly unbiased biographers about it. Um, he was basically a businessman, you know, looked like doing well in society, but he's basically a drunk. You know, they'd have all these big parties and he would get wasted and was pretty hopeless. And he yeah, got hooked yeah. up with some people who were part of the Oxford group. Yeah, that's uh, Dr. Bob. And the Oxford group has a very interesting history if you read about it. They had a different goal than most Christian organizations of the early 20th century. They, instead of reaching the down-and-outers, they tried to reach heads of state, wealthy, powerful individuals, and focus on them. And they got really cozy with Hitler, even though they were mostly Americans and, and British and some other Western Europeans. They got very close to Hitler, and they considered Himmler part of their group. And they were really close to him, and there was a, a bunch of other things that seemed pretty creepy. But anyway, he got hooked up with them, and then he um, he went to the special hospital for treatment. And this hospital was a unique hospital that was just formed, and they did something called the Belladonna treatment. Mm-hmm. And as I studied this hospital, it came about with a man who wasn't even a medical doctor. He was like a stockbroker. But some mysterious man or some individual, something, came up to him and gave him a list of these mysterious roots and said, if you give people this, you will make millions of dollars. And he began doing that to get first people in the mafia out of their addictions to opium and things, and it started working. And in the early stages of it is when this Bill Wilson came. Now, the drugs they gave were things like belladonna, henbane, uh, which is, I read more about henbane. I always knew it was associated with witches and, you know, the old religions with the roots and things. Well, evidently, henbane, and you guys know more of these subjects than I do, but it gives a sensation of flight where you're actually flying in the air. And that's mm-hmm. where the supposed rumor came about witches flying around on broomsticks. Yeah, 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 yeah. They'd get together and take this henbane, and they all thought they were flying. Well, they were given all these root chemicals, which are associated with ancient religion out of the ground. And as as we know in other texts, even uh, Josephus talks about how the fallen angels before the flood taught mankind how to dig up these roots and use them like this. And I think they were doing that to be able to reestablish contact that had been severed at the garden, that they were showing them how to reopen the portals. Well, anyway, he took these drugs, and he had that flight experience where he was flying through the air and, you know, setting up on a hill. And he, he yells out, he says, if this is the God of the preachers, then I accept that God. And so that became his higher power. And later, when he got into LSD and taking it, he told the people in his control group that he had had the identical religious experience to what he had had that started his conversion before. But now that group had some really interesting people. It had a gentleman by the name of Gerald Hurd, who looks to me, from my reading of him, was one of the earliest New Age leaders in America. Uh, Aldous Huxley, who was, you know, the Brave New World, was really believed in a basically a drugged-out populace for New World Order control. That was his main teaching. Uh, even Clara Booth Lucci, I believe is her name, who was a congresswoman and whose husband ran Time Magazine. She was part of this experimental group. And so uh, he was really into that. But from what I've read, he he always was involved in spiritualism. And he kept a room in his house called the Spooky Room. 
And this room, they had a Ouija board. We do Ouija board and do things like this. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot of stuff people didn't know about. And I, and, and I, I'm not saying people weren't helped in some of these groups in their own way. You know, uh, I can't speak for other people. But uh, what I have noticed per- personally is sometimes people will take this 12-step uh, guidance so far is that when they'll hear preaching from the Bible, they filter it through their understanding of the 12-step world and, and make it sort of a pseudo-religion where they understand God in, from what they hear on the basis of what they learned in AA. And uh, I, I wonder sometimes about the origins of all that. And, you know, sometimes you can even have a short-term positive benefit and have negative spiritual consequences. There were many people in the Bible that could do miracles, could even do healings that were not of God. So right. it makes, just makes me wonder. But that's a new one that I really have come across uh, of the, the involvement in, in one aspect of society, where, where these drugs, they came, the, the teaching came from mysterious origins and, and had a dark side that you don't hear much about in the regular public. Yeah, because they don't really want to, people don't really want to touch it. And, uh, you know, because there's people that, you know, like I said, uh, all comes down to the second commandment, you know, uh, that these people created their own image and whatever they did with it, whether it's to take drugs or anything, that they can create their own God or own system of ideas away from what, you know, this, you know, Away from the true God. That's just basically what they've all did. That's what I I agree with you on AA. There's a lot of stuff that it didn't work for me. I mean, uh, I was in I was in and out of that since I was 19, or actually even younger. And uh, I had a license to stand in it. I you know still I could uh, you know I could drink you know uh, not drink anymore, but I could still smoke cigarettes and you know and for, you know drink coffee. Or I could go have sex, or I, there's a, a whole uh, gay movement around it called the let, Live and Let Live uh, thing, and they treat about God, but um, I know the original tent of AA, I don't know about the people that got involved later, but I know Dr. Bob, it, he, 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 the first six steps were, were very Christian in origin, but I, you know, he, I don't really know much about that, but I know that uh, a lot of people, like, I'm, I'm part of a, a, program, a Christian program in San Diego called Most Excellent Way, and we base everything on the Sermon on the Mount. So, you know, um, which I know that works because of the fact that people, it, it's all biblically structured, so well structured, it's great. But uh, we have 10, it's not, it's, we have the 10 attitudes, actually, not the 10 steps, you know what I mean? So it's it's how to change your attitude and who you are through Christ, But which is a really good thing for anybody out there that's struggling with drugs. But, yeah, you're right. There's, there's a lot of weird stuff that Bill Wilson, you know, and uh, kind of, you know, the whole movement did. And there's still, you know, the symbol, even the AA, you know, the AA symbol, if you look at it with the pyramid with the circle around it, has some, you know, uh, occult significance to it, if you want to say. And I don't mean to just pick on them. I just no. think we've only scratched the surface that a lot yeah. of our institutions, you will find a similar kind of thing. Uh, and and but by the way, one other point. You know, I, I mentioned in my earlier discussions on Future Quake about my my speculation and hunch is that when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, and there was this angel with the flaming sword to keep them away in the tree of life, that that there was even more there that was being hinted at than just a physical angel with a physical tree. 
that there was some other barrier that was placed. That I assumed it was some kind of spiritual barrier that kept humans' minds, you know, via the pineal or whatever, from making contact with the spirit as well. Because in the garden, they just walked with God. I mean, they were right there in the midst of Him. But also, Satan could pop up too. And it was just a very, very in your face kind of connection to the spirit world. And because we flunked the test as humanity, I think God put a protective barrier in there. And part of it's in our mind. I mean, we have no idea where where physical Eden was or the tree of life, any of that kind of stuff. But there's almost in a sense a barrier that's still there. And I was further reinforced when I studied that passage again. And it talks about a cherubim with a flaming sword that goes to and fro. And if you, if you read the, the Hebrew in that, the word for flaming actually means occult or hidden. And the only other time that word is used that I could see in the Old Testament was used to describe the enchanters in Pharaoh's court that would match what Moses did, where they, they would throw their staffs down and they became snakes. And that's what that same word for flaming and flaming sword. So it's an occult or hidden thing. And the, and the description for going to and fro, the word that's used there for that means turned over or transformation. So you could read that in effect to say that there was some kind of occult weapon to inhibit transformation. That's the way I read that passage there. And so that's why I think maybe that, that chemical in our gut was actually sort of a, a continuous type of this flaming sword that was intended to keep us away. And when these angels came down before the flood, they tried to, to get around that barrier by finding a way how to inhibit that chemical. So if any of that is remotely true, it means we better be very, very, very careful of what we ingest and take in. It could do much, much worse than just physically kill us. It could put us into some kind of nightmare spiritual world, which would be infinitely worse than than death itself. Yeah, uh, and, you know, from what you're saying, uh, it occurs to me that uh, what being careful about, uh, you know, what we're ingesting... Uh, that uh, you know, right away, uh, somebody would think, "Well, yeah, I got, I can't, I need to stay away from drugs." You know, well, that's that's not really what you're saying to me. To me, what you're saying is uh, there's um, things that are way more subliminal, like you know, a, you know, an MAOI inhibitor uh, that could be you know added to our food that would have no, you know, it would have no effect on its own, but then it would, uh, but it would facilitate. Uh, anything else they wanted to throw at us, you know? So- exactly, and that's and that's the point. You're right. I mean, obviously, what we consider psychotic, hallucinogenic drugs, you should stay away from. But now, millions of people just take simple DMX out of cough suppressant. Right. Cough suppressant, and they, I've seen documented that religious spiritual experiences are happening from taking this. They're turning them into something called an entheogen which is when you take one of these chemicals in a religious ritual manner to be able to have a mystical experience. And so they're taking almost anything and making it an entheogen, uh, DMX, all these other chemicals, prescription drugs uh, to, to, to have these kind of highs, whether or not they have a mystical effect or not, are, are dwarfing other, quote, illegal drugs in that respect. But then when you go one step further and you look at our food and our water supply, that's when it really gets insidious. 
is that either these people are unwittingly serving the powers of darkness and even taking our food and other things to support this, or they're doing it in concert with the dark powers. But there are there are foods and other things we have, and in fact, you, you need to remember the first substance that was ingested by man at Satan's suggestion to open their eyes and illuminate them this way was actual food. It was not right. It, yeah, food. It was an apple, and uh, we have genetically modified food now that has who knows what kind of effects on ourselves. Uh, we've already talked about the water and what's going in it. Now they're saying that we're finding detectable amounts of these psychotic drugs in our water supplies in metropolitan areas where people uh, flush the remaining amount of these drugs down the toilet or discard them. They get in our sewer system. They make their way back into our water supply. So you're taking all the other meds that other people in your community are taking. You're, you're re-ingesting it. Uh, many of them fluoride-based. Yeah, well, and that's this fluoride is so, supposedly facilitates uptake, and so that's why I would suspect there, that's a component of it. But um, we we are in a just a dangerous, dangerous world of of material to take within us. So they assault us through what goes in through our mouth, but then they also assault us what goes in through our eyes and ears. Uh, and and in my presentations I've done on this. As I understand it, I'm not an expert on this topic, but I believe they're preparing us for a mass evocation to evoke a God spirit in front of us worldwide. And to do that, I understand you need a few things. One is if you can use drugs to be able to overcome these physical barriers God put, that helps. And we've already talked about that. Uh, Also, there are typically rituals done. And I think the purpose of rituals are used as a means to focus people's faith. Now, we shouldn't use them. I mean, I think they're they're a crutch, and God discourages that. But rituals, I believe, and that's why idols are effective. When you see some kind of physical representation of something, we are physical beings. And so we see that, and it helps us focus our faith. And so it's, it's much harder for natural man to, to really get his arms around an invisible God than something he can anthropomorphize, make something physical and tangible. And so rituals, all this stuff, icons that, you know, Catholic Church uses, they're all parts of the, these techniques to focus our faith. And so I believe we're being submitted to rituals, and I, I know you all understand this, via the movies that we have, the music videos, video games. These are basically, once you know what you're looking at, it's one occult ritual after another that you witness. Sometimes they make some of the symbols subtle where you have to really study to know what you're seeing. But that's basically what's going on. And it's acclimating people to be exposed to this. Even, you know, Super Bowl halftime shows can be this way. And then and then the last stage is you really have to have willing participants. Uh, it, it almost reminds me a little bit of the, the whole vampire story, you know, where, where a vampire can't enter your house unless you invite him in. And, and how people need to invite spirits in to come assault them. Uh, whether it's use of a Ouija board or psychomantium or whatever. But I think also that there's a major PR effort to create sympathy for Satan right now, where we have movies and TV where we show him as Lucifer, the light bearer, this tragic figure that was destroyed by the demiurge, the you know, the creator God, but he really had our best interest in mind. And you see movies like or shows like Fallen on ABC, you know, about a Nephilim who's trying to redeem himself and 
even weird movies like that one that was out recently with uh, where Michael was fighting against God on our behalf. You know, and- right, Legion. Legion, it really made God the bad guy, too. Right, right. So, see, I think they're creating generations of people who, not not just your classic Satanist, but, but just average people who are developing a sympathy. Freemasonry, of course, has always established that as Lucifer, as this great illuminating figure for us, but it's going even more mainstream uh, with that. So I think those things are really are what's setting us up for it. And I believe, and a lot of this goes into my my instruction on absinthe, uh, this new drug that's really emerging uh, and having a revival now, is that I believe in Revelation chapter 8, there's a possibility that what we're seeing with Wormwood is an actual goddess-type figure, spiritual figure, that is being summoned and thrown down and actually empowering the people with a sort of a uh, black awakening type event. Where, where where her power actually fills in the people down below. And when it says it goes on, on many waters, that word hydros is translated elsewhere in Revelation by the angel in Revelation 17 as meaning peoples and nations and tongues and tribes. So I believe that this fire is coming down on these people, and it says they become bitter. And the word means indignant, you know, worked up. And it says as a result of that, many, many people die. And I think what they will do is likely cause a mass sacrifice, just like the followers of Dionysus did, as a means to create spiritual power to open the abyss a few chapters after that. And that same angel will have keys to open the abyss. Now, if you, if you look at ancient history, this angel that had these keys was known by several names. Isis was the first one. She was a liminal goddess. She was the goddess of witchcraft. She was a goddess that controlled the entrance to the spirit world and, and for, for mankind. Then later she came up with other names like Artemis or Diana, but it had the same features. Uh, Hecate was also another version, the goddess of the witches, had keys associated with her, had fire, had like a torch, flaming fire, the same features you see in Revelation 8 and the beginning of Revelation 9. Uh, and, and were called liminal goddesses. They were goddesses even over doorways and over were crossroads of roads because they symbolized portals to the spirit world. And the, the, these uh, these same temples, you know, at one place they were called I- Isis, and they would change the name to Artemis or others. But it's very very curious because if you look at the name Wormwood, it's the, the name Wormwood in Revelation eight is a feminine pronoun. And it's a proper name. And the name in the Greek is Absentheon. And if you look at the official name of the wormwood plant, it's called Artemis Absentheon. Yeah. And that's the key ingredient that's used to make the absinthe alcoholic beverage. Right. Thujone. Thujone is the ingredient. The well, it's considered to be one of the one of the main things to cause the the weirdness. You know, they're still trying to study it to figure out what all causes it. But yeah, that's one of the the active ingredients are having some of the weird effects, but it is not just another run-of-the-mill alcohol. Uh, it's under- No, it's it's facilitated actually by the alcohol too. It actually the alcohol uh, sort of acts like a uh, oh, what do you call it in uh, a synergistic uh, agent? Synergistic, yeah. Well, you know, people often see alcohol; they don't put it in the same category as these other kind of drugs. They just figure that's sort of a good old boy high. 
But alcohol was the original chemical by which to, to connect with the gods, and that's what was used for worship of Dionysus. Yeah, it's a it's a alcohol is a poison. Right. Well, in this particular absinthe, is created with phenyl, which was the used. You know, the shaft that Dionysus carried was made out of phenyl, and this wormwood, uh, which was called again uh, Artemis absinthion. And uh, it was it was the the wine that was drunk by the Menaeids, the followers of Dionysus, and then it had a big revival in the late 19th century in Europe. Did the followers of Dionysus did they cut their ears off too? I don't know about ears, but you. Know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to stick that in there, Doc. It's a little uh, Van Gogh reference. Uh, that's right, because Van Gogh was was totally all of the Bohemian, like the bad boy artists of that era were, were big, big drinkers. They were basically addicted to absinthe. Uh, but one of the other ones who absolutely adored it and was his favorite drug was Aleister Crowley. And he, oh. he called it the Green Goddess. And he wrote a very famous poem to it, and it was addressed from Apollo uh, to, to um, absinthe. Now, you got to understand, Apollo was the brother of Artemis. Okay, it's the same model you see with Isis and Osiris. Osiris was her husband, but also her brother. And she rescues him from the abyss. Uh, she goes and regenerates him. And, and the same thing with Apollo and, and Artemis. And I believe that's what happens in Revelation 8 and 9, because Artemis is summoned by her followers. She comes down. There is a massive blood sacrifice which empowers her to be able to open the abyss, and who comes out but Apollyon? Right. So the same thing has been prototyped in the ancient teaching about what is to be foretold in the future to happen, I believe. But um, but but it's very interesting these uh, th these things that occur because serotonin, which which is a key action of this stuff, creates these kind of things, and, and you think about the stings of the creatures that come out of the abyss. They're very, very painful stings for five months. And right. serotonin is what gives those stings. Right. There may be something like these drugs that are being fed to people and given to them via these stings that won't allow people to die. They, they try to die, but it, but, but, you know, it, it probably will paralyze them. I know it's awfully hard to die when you are just packed full of dexedrine. Um, is that right? Yeah, altitude sickness, and uh, I, it'll keep you from dying of uh, um, edema. Right. So, so I see. I think it all sort of fits together. And this absinthe chemical, um, which was so popular with the ancient uh, uh, the, the, these uh, people who were the artists and people who made these other kind of things, it created such a terrible state in society that they banned it. And almost all of America, they banned it in America, uh, all of Europe, I mean, in America. Uh, not surprisingly, one of the places where it was most popular was in New Orleans, which is a town that is steeped right. in the occult and steeped in the darkness. And that's where, actually, Aleister Crowley hung out. He, he consumed a lot of it at the Absinthe House in New Orleans. So there's no surprise there's a cloud over that area down there. So, uh, you know, finally they saw how terrible it was, and, and they all taught that there was a spirit that came upon them, a muse, that taught them how to write their poetry, how to write their music or other kind of things when they took this, this chemical. 
but of course, it's having a, a comeback now. And in fact, just in the last two years, it's just been reapproved for use in America and other countries in Europe. Uh, Marilyn Manson uh, used Absinthe to write one of his recent uh, music albums, and now he has his own version of Absinthe. He calls Mansynth. That oh, oh, no good. So he knows he knows the importance of this chemical. He's he's aware of it. I started thinking about wormwood in the sense that you're using it as, you know, the sorcery drugs, right? So it could be a, a plural thing because we've got the rise in, uh, uh, of marijuana being cultivated in California where it's like now we have shops everywhere. Um, they have legal ecstasy, which is uh, supposed to be a natural ecstasy that they're selling in head shops. And then, of course, we got the... It's not even that. Mainstream medical communities are now recommending large parts of society take ecstasy. They're saying now for pain management, for any kind of mild depression, even any kind of other physical ailments, every week I'm getting new news stories that major bad news hallucinogens are recommended now that they take for every kind of possible ailment. And yeah, these yeah, press yeah. releases are coming out on purpose. This is an orchestrated effect. It sounds like the wormwood, wormwood because when you think about a star that fell from heaven, instead of thinking, you know, of course, me, I'm going to think like origin. I'm going to think, uh, you know, uh, not metaphysically, but uh, spiritually, that you, it's like it came down. It's like it came from the heavens. Here comes this is this is how you're going to see God. Here, take this ecstasy or smoke this pot for your medical ailment or I'll drink this alcohol with this and if you mix these two you can dance this certain beat and you'll find God and Jesus is really into this you know and you know you're just making me think about that that's just just a pondering thought wormwood as you brought that up I'm like hey you know it could be a plural thing you know like like Simon the sorcerer he was a that's what he did he gave them drugs you know? That's what he did. He he did that very same thing. And uh, um, I, I think all these kind of things that they could be pushing on us now is to get us ready for the big the big invocation or evocation to call the big one forward, you know. And they have all these goddess religions, you know, of Gaia and Mother Earth and all this stuff. That that's, <laughs> they're getting us ready for this kind of stuff. Uh, to do it, and all these drugs are acclimating. It, it changes our biochemistry. It change, has spiritual effects on us. It prepares us for the for the big one that's coming up. So, uh, you know, I think you know now we've got eye dosing, where you've got electronic means of creating similar oh, nice. things in the brain that are going on. So they're finding all sorts of creative ways to ch- change the structure of how our mind functions. And uh, we really, really need to be educated on what's going on uh, with this kind of stuff and be aware of it. Uh, yeah, that's very true. Well, just to give you an example of uh, for any listeners there who are not familiar with 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 the unique way in which uh, absinthe is made, uh, it's a pale green liquid, but you actually prepare it at the time of of ingesting it in something that's called a ritual, which is an ironic choice of words. But in this ritual, you actually take a, a very small glass of this chemical and you set a very special ornate spoon, a slotted spoon. You put a sugar cube on it. You pour ice water over it. As it melts through the sugar, it goes down and it, it luches, as they say. It actually creates a 
suspension that comes out of the liquid. It gets cloudy, a milky green cloudy, and that's when you smell all the stuff that's hidden in there. And I, I believe that that is a metaphor uh, of what happens, and it's right in line with what we see in Revelation 8. I believe the pale green is reminiscent of the pale horse death uh, that's, that's present there. And this ritual is similar to the ritual we'll see one day when either the false prophet or some other sorcerer will actually serve as the administrator, much like that spoon, and they're going to sweeten it. They're going to sweeten the message and not really explain the full bitterness uh, of what this ritual is that's, that's undergone. But when they mix the two, when they bring the absinthe in concert with the water, and as I said, waters is described as hydro, or the Greek word, nations, people, tribes, and tongues. When the absinthe, Artemis, is mixed with the people, you actually will see this stuff come out of suspension. And I believe that sounds very similar to me to what Russ Dizdar talks about, of these embedded demonic spirits that are embedded, the sleeper cells, that one day will come out, and they will actually make themselves manifest, and they will wreak havoc on the earth. And I, I, I think that's a possibility of what's described in Revelation chapter 8 occurs, is that when this indwelling comes, the, these inner demonic spirits are released in these people, a number of people around the earth. Uh, you know, you, you, you read of people like Dr. Colin Ross and others that believe just in America that there's actually several million people in America who have had these compartmentalized sub-personalities put within them. So uh, I, I believe that the, 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 even the absinthe ritual is, it can teach us what they've got planned to do. So it's going to be multiple possessions. Uh, over, like, spread over a large part of the population. Uh, in fact, another variation on the preparation is called the Bohemian Method, and that's where they actually set the sugar cube on fire and dump it into the mixture and set the whole thing on fire, which is even more of a picture of what we see in Revelation 8 where she comes down in flames with her torch. Uh, and that's how Wormwood's described, and it's just like what Artemis is described holding. And it says, and then it inflames everybody. So this, this demonic spirit, just like the Manaeans of Dionysus, take over the people, and you have a widespread massacre of people on the earth. And, and as occultists have often said, and Russ Dizdar has talked about this, when there is human sacrifice, it creates dark spiritual power. And the wider the scale, the greater the power there is. And I, I in fact, wonder if the, the sacrifice of the Jews at the end of World War II was part of a mass sacrifice to open portals that may have opened, uh, you know, in Roswell and other places like that. Because there was a critical turn of events right in the middle 40s. A whole bunch of very important things. The Dead Sea Scrolls discovered, Israel becoming a nation. Everything that's set up for the last day set up then. And these ritual sacrifices... Uh, provide power for them for this to happen. And I think the ultimate one is awaiting the population. I agree. I think the mass sacrifice of the Jews was, you know, exactly that. It was a giant sacrifice to Satan to open up these portals. I mean, you had six million Jews, and, and not only six million Jews, but you had some something on the order of 12 mil million Christians that, you know, no, nobody seems to think about. Plus all the widespread death of uh, World War II in general. I mean, the satanic powers love war. And the more pe people that die, the better. Uh, check this out. Um, Deuteronomy, uh, was that Deuteronomy chapter 32? Versus, the Table uh, of Nations? 30, yeah, no, through, through 31 to 35. Let me read it for you. 
And it says, well, first of all, for us, for their rock is not like our rock, and even our enemies concede. And here it goes. Their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are filled with poison and their clusters with bitterness. Their wine is the venom of serpents, their deadly poison of cobras. And then the boom. Have I not kept them in reserve and sealed it in my vaults? Oh, wow. Okay, and the 35 says, It is God now, the sovereign God said, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. And the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees their strength is gone, and no one is left slave or free. How will we say, now where are their gods? The rock that they took refuge in. Bam. So it goes on and on. You can read uh, Deuteronomy 32. It kind of, you just said that, and I was just looking at, as you are saying it, Bam, it hit me right there. <laughs> Freaked me out. Woo! That sure sounds like that same description. Man, that was a good catch, Rick. And, wow. And I was thinking, well, you're making me think about it because there's a lot of things that I don't, like I said, like, you know, Dr. Uh, Dr. Future, I'm not really in the sci-fi category. I'm into the, uh, you know, understanding, you know, I know the spirit world and, uh, uh, you know, a lot of things that you guys talk about, I kind of, you know, of course, of course I'm, I'm glad being the skeptic that I am, but I'm glad being a Christian skeptic, too, because I don't, I'm not, I definitely always pray that I'm not caught off guard, or Lord, every day, Lord, let me not be let into error about these things going on, especially not in, especially in the church, but what we're seeing at this absence, you know, which I've drink, drinking before. Yeah, me and too. All this stuff, it, it, it kind of stands in line of what I've been thinking. Like, you, you've been saying it the whole time, like, confirming it. Like, wow, this is what you're saying is with all this occult stuff. I know God is the one that's doing this, but this is what we got to catch. Look at, you know, he's, he's also warning us. You're just warning us of what's, you know, what's taking place right now in the present. And this is happening now. Whatever is going to be set up, we don't know how it's going to be set up, but right there, Deuteronomy says, this is how it's going to be set up, and you're in it right now. <laughs> you know? So That's right. And uh, we've got to really preserve what's taken in. And there's so much of the Bible we've ignored, you know, or maybe just didn't catch, or maybe he's just letting us know in the last days. But Revelation 18 says what their game plan is, that they're to use sorcery and things like this by which to deceive us. And I think they have through other milder means, but they're stepping it up now with uh, what they're putting in our food, what they're telling us is uh, medically best for us, even pharmaceuticals and others. But all this stuff is really planned. And it's not just the chemicals. Chemicals are important. But as I say, the rituals we're exposed to, the way we perceive Satan and his followers, all this stuff culturally is creating a post-Christian culture that will be very excited to make large sacrifices. And, and you think about Bohemian Grove. you got all of our leaders in the world going there and participating in a mock ritual sacrifice with fire, and they're used to it, exposed to it every year. Or they yeah. sacrifice their conscience. I always thought that was, uh, I always thought that was uh, kind of uh, interesting. How what, they, what they sacrifice is a... Uh, as, a, as an old man uh, with uh, who is supposed to represent the embodiment of care, they call it the the cremation of care. Like they're sacrificing their conscience, isn't that? Do you know what they called the ceremony for the worshippers of Dionysus, where they would take this drink and they would drink alcohol, 
and then they would suddenly become raging lunatics. You know what they called that ceremony? Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. Called yeah. the cremation of care. Oh, uh-oh. Here we go. Uh, so they, they're just doing nothing new under the sun. <laughs> That's right. They call it the cremation of care. And all of the, if you read all of these journalists, the few that you know got into Bohemian Grove, they consume huge, huge quantities of alcohol. Now, I don't know if it's absinthe. But they consume huge quantities. They said just, you know, apocalyptic amounts. And then they do these cremation of care ceremonies and things akin to this. So, and then they go out all year. It energizes them all year to do what the Manans did, which is to widespread slaughter people, either by controlling food, starving people to death, creating wars, economically wiping out people. You know, all of the things of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the people practice that are the leaders of Bohemian Grove. And so this ceremony, I think, it sort of recharges them to, uh, to do that very same kind of activity of the followers of Dionysus. It's, just, it's not getting more blatant, you know, and it, as crafty as the, the serpent gets with the same old lie, you know, like I said, it's just so crafty, like Second Corinthians 11.3, you know, it's just, you know, for us, this is what a warning to us, and maybe Johnny, from our first show, remember that... That we will trample on serpents and that we will drink poison and it won't harm us. Maybe right, yeah. Mark sixteen eighteen. For, for us right now who are aware, right, this is what that really means. It must be because it sounds like it, like they're doing this to our water. Somehow God's preserving us and making us aware of it. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to harm us. Not saying that we should deliberately go after it. You know what I mean? But... You know, that was to be, uh, right now what we're doing is that, hopefully that if we have ingested it, that God has been protecting us so far because we're his, you know. And so when these things are happening that, you know, we're trampling on serpents, whatever that means, uh, but, you know, we're drinking poison. And I don't know this for sure, Rick, but I wonder if the fact, if if we just ignore these warnings after God has graciously told us about it, and we just go on and say, well, we're Christians, we'd have nothing to worry about, just want to participate. If, in fact, we still can't be suspect or subject to oppression, that would weaken yeah. our Christian faith. It, it, a lot of times the byproduct of being pulled away from God, even if you're a Christian, is you're fearful, you're, you're scared, um, there's no peace in your life. All these- oh, amen. So there's still, there's still some penalties to be paid, even for our Christian audience, to ignore the kind of things we're talking about. Uh, your, your soul may be saved as if by fire, but um, you could take away your complete capability to do what the Lord needs you to do in the last days, and he's counting on you. He's got things for you to do, and, and, and will cause you to experience possibly a lot of pain and, and, and you know fear and all these other kind of things because we tolerate some of the stuff in our life and we ignore God's warnings. Uh, yeah. You have uh, you've kind of changed your diet, um, gone to only no processed foods, and uh, um, obviously probably not drinking any fluoridated tap water. I mean, is that something that you would recommend? Uh, do you have any recommendations on how we could uh, protect ourselves from you know from the uh, you know the Revelation eighteen the pharmacia? Do you have any suggestions, ideas? Well, you know, uh, obviously the first thing we need to do is take a some significant part of our time, our personal time, which is very little for any of us, to education. And part of the challenge is there's a lot of people that says a lot of hooey out there, even though they're well-meaning. So you're going to have to sort of distill out what's 
true and what's not true. Uh, but you got to start taking what you take in, in physically and also what take in your mind, and really start realizing nothing that you take in through your ears, eyes, or mouth will have zero effect on you. It'll either have a positive effect or a negative. It's like Jesus said, you cannot be, you know, you're either for me or against me. And the stuff that you take in will have that same effect. And so, first of all, you need to educate yourself on these kind of things we hinted at. Uh, and then make some hard decisions for your family. Uh, and as far as on the, now the physical things is it, the beginning of it. It's it, to watch out the kind of stuff we consume. Uh, and I'm still in the process of doing that. I, I was trying to do it to try to get some of my weight down. Uh, and, but in the process, it, it's gotten me away from a lot of processed food and stuff. So, I mean, you know, this stuff was killing me anyway just because of the panels it was putting on me. And, you know, people get into diabetes and all these other kind of things. That's, Satan loves that too, you know. I mean, oh, yeah. he can kill you physically, anything like that he loves. So, uh, so getting away from all that kind of stuff, you know, I've gotten away from anything with aspartame in it which is I, I, what I understand consistently must be one of the worst of the worst uh, diabolical chemicals out there. We can thank Donald Rumsfeld for that. Um, right. It was interesting how that was pushed through, you know. Yeah. yeah it, it avoided all kinds of red tape and FDA problems. And Right. It was almost like supernaturally assisted, you could say. Yep. But, uh, but, but then when you get into the stuff like what we see and watch and hear um, – we're going to, first of all, have to get our personal house in order. And then secondly, if we're the head of the household, we're going to have to find a way to try to help protect our families from what they ingest. And I know for young people this may sound really, really boring, but we probably need to spend a whole lot more time studying our Bible and a lot less time with the boob tube on or the Internet, and just of anything to protect our minds. And if you want something that's interesting or something, you know, uh, that still has some level of fascination to you, listen to Iron Show or listen to Future Quake or PID Radio or something like that. We're, we're actually, you know, you could sort of get your fix of something that's uh, fascinating, current, headline news, but still from a biblical perspective. You know, there's a lot of writers out there like the Gilberts that write even fiction, novels and fiction that are Christian-based. But but we got to start looking for stuff like that and really take a hard eye and what we're ingesting and how it influences our attitudes. And I'm sad to say, even Christian books, there's Christian books that have their own agenda, and it may not be the same thing as the drugs, but, you know, either they're selling us a lie about our country or, or you know, some of the other stuff that we've talked about on our show. And people just cannot be so passive and just let everything drip in. It'd, it'd be like just seeing, you know, like leftover food on a plate down on the street and just deciding to eat it. You know, you'd know better. You'd say, well, where did that come from? Here do you know where that's been? Or you see some open pipe with dirty water coming out. Oh, let me take a drink from that. But that's what we do spiritually with the stuff that we ingest spiritually in us. Stuff, anything that comes through the sewer pipe called the television or even the Internet, um, we don't we don't use any spiritual litmus paper, you know, to sort of see what's coming out with it. So we got to live a lot more purposeful. That will take a lot of time that we don't have out of our lives, which means there will be less time to have for relaxation, to watch DVDs, to lay on the couch. And that's just the way it is. But, you know, God didn't promise any of that. We're on a wartime footing. And uh, we're supposed to be at war. There'll be time, you know, for, for VE Day or VJ Day when we all party after the war. But this is not it yet. In fact, I think a lot of people would like to sort of get the medals handed out now. 
and right. from, there's no time for medals being passed out. Uh, that time will come, but the time now is for sober-mindedness. And that's really what it comes back to. You know, the Bible says we are to be grave and sober-minded. That doesn't mean we can't joke around like we do here on this show, you know, or stuff we do. But as far as, like, the step that we put in the forms of our real mindset, who we are, we got to be more deliberate. we have to have a military mindset of cohesiveness. And that's not to physically attack people, be, be it Muslims or anything. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a spiritual uh, attack in the heavenlies and, and our real enemy, which are the principalities and powers. It's, it's war whether we ignore it or not. It, it's still going on. Now, are you going to undergird yourself or not? And that's one of the basics. I totally agree. I want to add that uh, to the listeners. Also, I mean, there's really nothing boring about it if you really just set you set your task. Look, read Christian biography in the past. Go read Christian history. It's fascinating. I mean, um, even back to ancient history, uh, 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 and you know, uh, look at it all. I mean, I, there's a there should be that hunger for God in the church to, you know, we got our we go to our churches and we do our thing and we get our Bible preached at us every time. But are we actually sitting down? Are we doing like like I said? I, I promote the one year Bible thing. I mean, every day you have something to read. Um, it, I mean, the trigger of wanting to be satisfied in Christ alone and to learn all about Him and learn what He did throughout history. There's got to be that revival of that again. It's like, well, we know we got all of the. We're the information age. With the you know, I use the internet just to. Mine's not just a, a, a toy to play with. You know. We'll go on Facebook. I like reading the news. I go, I go like, well, I even talk about absence. I was looking it up, you know, and just kind of saying, you know, so I can understand where you're coming from. Oh, that's what that is. And you use it as a tool. That's all I get. Yeah, I'm not going to put, like I said, this, this computer is porn free. I don't look, I don't, anybody that comes on and said, you put anything on there, I'm checking you out, you know. Don't, this is a tool, that I only use my internet and my, my thing, it's not, it, this is for God, this is for me to learn, this is for me to search about the Lord, about things that, just like, you know, what you're doing, Dr. Future, same thing, you know, because you love it, This it, you love the Lord so much, that you want to know everything about Him, every, I mean, I guess you're like me, I'm very analytical, I am like, ter- I'm, I'm probably sick and <laughs> terribly analytical, I mean, I really, I guess it's just being left-handed and Somebody says left-handed. Left-handed people are totally skeptical and analytical to the max. You know I'm left-handed too, don't you? <laughs> are you really? <laughs> How could I guess? How did I know that? You know who else is? I'm bionic. Really? Yeah. Oh, my. Uh, I got that my buddies. That makes you uh, right-brained. That's right. We're not right I'm pretty, I'm pretty ambidextrous, too, so I throw with both hands and kick with both feet. Oh, you're in your right mind. I never, I never put that together. That's right. I always knew there was something about you. I always knew that you were in your right mind. <laughs> See, that's I figured that out about you. I said he, this guy, must be left-handed because he he thinks on the same terms, I, you know, I do. I just over, over. I'm like so bad with it that I mean, I'll I'll, t- I'll stress out a topic. I mean, and exhaust it to the max. I mean, and, and, until like, I, I can understand it or agree with it. You know? <laughs> you know? I wish I was like you. I'm so right-handed that my left arm is all shriveled up, sort of like a, uh, sort of like a. Uh... <laughs> Feel bad. I'm ambidextrous too. I throw like a girl, both left and right-handed. <laughs> oh no! 
Yeah, I feel like a little sissy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Johnny, I, I, you know, if I were you, this is my advice. I would not worry about you drifting in conventionality or just being another, like, same old, same old kind of person, okay? I think I, that That's not a concern that you have about me? No, I don't worry about you sitting <laughs> in with the falling in with the crowd. God, I, my battle was, was on that when God actually, when I found out that, okay, for personally me, this led, but when I found out I didn't have free will any longer, is when God, it's in the middle of a, that a drug-induced coma where it wasn't working anymore. Uh, I was running from God because I've always was, you know, I was always, God was always intervening in my life, my whole life. And when he said that he knew me from the womb, I was chosen from the womb. Uh, and know he told me this personally that, no, uh, the rock star that I wanted, all those things that I wanted, you know, even he took that all away. Nothing works. Like, I don't even have a desire for anything that will make my mind altered. I mean, I don't want... I go to the dentist, I'll take a leave because it'll help the pain, but I, don't give me the Vicodin or the... It's just like, I don't want... It's like, wow, I don't want any of that. I, don't, I always I mean, take I the want, Vicodin. I'm, I'm a really tough guy. I'm a longshoreman, you know? And I, I, you know, I always tell the wife, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the toughest guys you ever met. I can take anything but pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah, and you know what Jonathan Edwards hey, talked about, you know, yeah. Hey, Rick, all, all you have done is you have sacri- you have substituted for a better drug, and that better drug is the Holy Spirit. The yeah, Holy Spirit yeah. will take you into a high of reality that there's no drug that can deliver, particularly as far as lasting. You know, a drug will make you escape for a few seconds or minutes or whatever like that, uh, but the down is always worse. It's, to me, it's like taking a sugar high. You know, when you take a bunch of carbs and you get a little burst of energy, but then you come down even lower, and the Holy Spirit will keep you on a legitimate real high that, you know, drugs can't compete with. No. He keeps you there, and it's constant when you sleep and when you rise. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, real. And it's real. And and he's real. And it's not. It's him. He breathed new life into you. And those that are taking drugs are dead. They're trying to come alive, but they're still dead. And here's, here's what you need. This is what you need. This is what you're, you know, first of all, God to go, hello, he's doing it right now, person who, who doesn't believe yet. Uh, you're being awoken. I mean, now he's going, hey, I'm right here. I am real. I am truthful. I am, I am reality. And all you have to do is confess, you know, here we go. Just go to confess with your mouth. And, you know, believe who I really say that I am. And I really am who I say that I am, you know. And uh, here he comes. In comes the Holy Spirit. And you need to start confessing him. It's like, here's the word of my confession. Here is my creed now. It's you. You know? And he satisfies. He's the only... Jesus is the only... You know, of course, the triune Godhead is the only satisfaction we will ever have. Above even heaven. It's God who is our satisfaction. You know, the other thing else is secondary. And I love that out of the Puritans. It's God, God is our satisfaction, and he's always going to be our satisfaction, forever. And he's going to fulfill everything. And then whatever comes around is, is secondary. Again, I say again, it, we should make God our satisfaction, because in him there is satisfaction. And, there, you know, and uh, for Mick Jagger, you know, you said you can't get satisfaction. Well, the satisfaction is from Jesus alone. Alone. And everybody pray for Mick Jagger. 
because if, if if he doesn't have a massive turnaround, he's one of those guys who's going to find out. He he didn't know what lack of satisfaction is when when the the flames of endless fire surround him. He's going to really not find satisfaction, and I don't wish that for him. So we need to pray for people like him and pray for people in our own families and neighborhoods that, that aren't finding satisfaction because they are to be pitied. Uh, we, we're not to hate them or despise them or anything like that, even when they make fun of us. And even when it looks like they've got the world by the tail, they are to be pitied because they're going to make their life miserable here on earth, and it's going to be you know, untold about worse on the other side. So, guys, yeah. I think I'm going to have to... Call her a day here. I've got to get back to editing some future Quake shows and got to get ready for Tuesday here. So, um, may have to call it a, an end for this visit, but man, I've had a blast with y'all. Uh, I just want to make one more comment that Jesus had compassion for the 5,000, He had compassion for the rich man. And uh, so, that should put us, smack us all as Christian back in perspective that I get angry a lot at politics. But I, just like you said, the Lord once again said in my ear, now if the doctor of the future, just to remind me, are you praying for them? Are you having compassion on them? Are you praying for them? And I'm like, oh, I, oops. You know? <laughs> you know, so we should all think that, that no matter what we're going through, like me being a political junkie that I am, uh, we, we always should have compassion on everyone, you know, and hopefully, Lord that we can be those people. We can show that love, be that love, because the greater, greater of all these things is love. Right. And, and yeah, Doc, uh, Doc uh, Tom Bionic told me one time, he said, he'd, he, uh, he said, Dr. Future is the, epi- the epitome of the compassion of man. He said he'd hate to be in a war with you because uh, you'd be um, jumping the foxhole to, 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 uh, to minister to, to a soldier you'd just shot. <laughs> Well, I, I know he meant that in a nice way. I appreciate that as a compliment. Yeah, yeah. I think we need to be more like you. I need. I know I need to. I think. Uh, do you have a Do you have a, like a, a quick like thirty second uh, reach out to the sinner out there who's hearing this and uh, doesn't believe in Jesus? Can I Can I take it before the throne? Would you? Would you? Yes, yes, please. Yes, let's do that. Let's three of us head up to the throne and ask Daddy. Okay. Okay. He- Heavenly Father, we're nothing. We, we we don't know anything. We don't understand what's going on. Half of what we say are misunderstandings, Lord. I guess I should speak for myself, but I believe my two buddies here feel the same way. We struggle. Uh, even with your gift of the Holy Spirit, we have so much other stuff messed up in our heads to try to understand and see truth. And, Lord, the last thing we'd want to do is mislead anybody listening to us. These wonderful people, Lord, that are searching, that take the effort to listen to to Iron Show or Future Quake or or whatever, Lord, we don't want to ever mess them up. And in fact, um, we know what you did. You already told us what you think about these folk. Even even these celebrities, Lord, that just, you know, flaunt the drugs and the kind of stuff and make us all look like idiots. Lord, you died on a cross for them. You, You saw them eye to eye. You saw them as who they really are, human beings. Even though we look at them and we see the wealthy we see other people who are powerful, and we have this urge to despise them, even subconsciously. But you don't do any of that. You you pity them. You, in fact, you go you do more than pity them. You you took the ultimate sacrifice yourself for the worst of them. And and if we were really honest, we're part of the worst of them. And so, Lord, I would pray over all we talk, all the things we share with the audience, above everything, 
that anybody who would happen to listen to this show and does not have a, a, a faith that turned their life over to you taking care of their shortcoming before their father, that through, through the death on the cross of, of Jesus Christ, to be able to, to bridge that gulf to take care of all the bad stuff they did that they can't fix. Lord, that is the only main thing that we want to do is to make sure that they have that relationship right and they make a decision, a real voluntary decision, to give their life over to God and accept the sacrifice that Christ made. Lord, we pray that that would happen right this moment. Somebody listening right now, that this would be the last word it would take to get them to see the reality of it and that the love that you want to express to them, that you're just holding your hand to embrace them. And it doesn't matter what they've done, any terrible things they've done in their life, or even if they don't think they have, Lord, that whoever they are, where they are, he'll take, you'll take them right now uh, the way they are. And Lord, I just pray that that would happen right now. I pray that we would have compassion on those that we get most frustrated with and that we would see more clearly your parable uh, about the about the one who was forgiven the great debt and then went and started choking the, the guy on the street that owed him the little debt and recognize you're talking about us, that we've been forgiven so, so, so much, and that heaven forbid that we would start to act like we're some kind of hot shots in front of other people, Lord, who who, who owe so little to us. And let's just remember that that we're people who, who got off so easy, Lord, that you provided freely. You, you took our debt, you paid it, you wrote, paid in full on it, and that any debt that other men owe us is, is a trifle compared to the great deal that you gave us, Lord. Help us to keep that perspective. Lord, if, if, if even that debt we feel is, is resentment toward people, or maybe not even people we know personally, but just people we see and, and we speak out against them or whatever, Lord, remind us we have one adversary. We have one who wants to destroy all of us. He wants to destroy them and destroy us. And that we have one Savior who loves them and loves us. And, Lord, help us keep that perspective, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of hearing your name, uh, being your child. And we just pray that we would carry on the family name in a reputable way that brings you glory. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wow, that was a powerful prayer, Doc. Man. Oh. Well, we, we were agreeing together. You know, and that's all that's required is the agreeing together. Uh, you know, you're not going to get out of the one, two, three goodbye. You know that, don't you? Now, wait a second. I don't know how this works. You'll have to instruct me. <laughs> you mean you've never listened to an Iron Show all the way through to the bitter end? Well, I thought I had, but the ones I've heard, I didn't remember hearing the one, two, three goodbye. So I have to... Oh, you're kidding. That's every... It's only every single Iron Show, Doc. I mean, yeah. somehow I don't hear the end of it, so please tell me. <laughs> Maybe you're asleep. You're sitting there... <laughs> You don't miss the one, two. Oh, what we do is we all we decided early on that it was so hard to say goodbye that we just decided to go one, two, three, goodbye. This is like two teenagers, two preteen, fourteen-year-olds on the phone with with puppy love. You know, where they're sitting in the hallway on the phone saying, "You say goodbye." No, you say goodbye. That's exactly right. You thank you very. You're the only one that's ever been able to articulate that. That is so true. That is exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, that's scary now. <laughs> I know. I've got a fear. I got a chill going here. Anyway, oh. we'll have mercy on you and let you go here. So we'll do our one, two, three, goodbye. 
Okay, and uh, uh, I love, hey, I love you, brothers. By the way, I love yeah, you too, man. Too. I love you. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really privileged to be your brother. You know that. Uh, uh, same here. I'm totally privileged to have talked with you and have a great discussion. You know, great. I'm, I'm glad that. I, I got a lot out of this discussion about some things I've been trying to put in perspective, and it kind of threw me in perspective. So, awesome, awesome, and maybe and answer, you you answered some of my questions. I, I already asked God earlier in my in my week. Actually, it's pretty funny. So, this was an awesome conversation. I'm glad oh yeah, it's a it. huge honor to know you, Doctor Future. I can't. Uh, yeah. I just can't imagine that God would place me in this position where, you know, I'm friends with you and and uh, all the other wonderful people out there that have come into my life. I mean, if you really knew who Johnny was, it would amaze you, too. So, you know uh, what? I, I tell people the same exact thing about you all. I do. The exact thing. And uh, I learn something with every email, with every kind of comments made. I quote you all so much to other wow. people. So, you know, you are highly esteemed somewhere, you know, on the other side of the country. I just want to let you know, out here in uh, Redneckville, out here where we don't wear shoes, we can appreciate two West Coasters and what they got to say. <laughs> That's an honor. It's hard to, hard to fathom, but I'm going to take what I can get, you know. And and by the way, if if you want to know in here, you know, I'm from Kentucky, and how we pronounce your show is Iron Show. Iron Show. Iron Show. Iron Show. Iron show. Iron show. I gotta go wash the car now. I'm gonna wash the car. Martha, get the shotgun. Better put some. Better put some oil on that iron. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm gonna uh, have mercy on you, Doc. I know you got to. I know you got to bail. And uh, you know we uh, could keep going. We could keep going back and forth like this until midnight. Hours. All right. We all got three of us. Got to get back to changing the world. Okay, and we're going to end our traditional Iron right. Show with our traditional Iron Show. One, two, three, goodbye. Are you ready, Rick? Ready and willing. One, one two, two, three. three. Goodbye. goodbye. Hey, Doc, you still there? What's up? See you later, Doc. Until next time. All right. Uh, Salmonella. Come on, guys. Come on, guys.